Hi. Hi. Welcome to Babe Town, Taylor. You fucking suck. I was going to do that. <laughs> I know you were because you oh. got last time and I will not be got this time. Man, now we're just going to have a regular ass intro. What do we call it? Regular ass? No. Mm. I guess not. How's your head this week? Uh, it's okay. It's okay. We had, you know, kind of it. I've always noticed that like, if I'm really busy or if I'm really stressed out about something else, I notice it less. Um, and then when I think about it, I'm like, oh yeah, my head hurts a lot. It's just kind of that, like, I can't figure out why I'm uncomfortable until I right. think about it. And I'm like, oh, it's because my brain hurts a lot. That's anxiety for me. I'm always like, I feel sick and I feel weird and I feel gross. What is going on? And then I learned to be like, oh, I'm anxious about something. Yeah. What am I anxious about? And then I'll say what I'm anxious about and I immediately feel better. Yep. Yep. So it's kind of, the, it's kind of been that. Um, but today it's pretty bad because I like didn't really sleep last night. <laughs> and that's like always a thing that makes it not great. Um, I'm so. pretty sure pretty sure sleep deprivation is like a migraine cure standard yeah yeah Just stay up for three days yeah it's gone yeah there has there has not been a night in the last probably three weeks that I have slept uh without like a three to four hour gap in the middle of the night <laughs> so my it's a real big gap yeah, my sleep bank is very deprived. Um, so I'm probably going to re- record this with you and then uh, go to bed. <laughs> you do it. So, you know, living it up on a Saturday night. Hell yeah. I'm going to, I mean, I love, this is what my Saturday night has consisted of. Therapy, Great oh. British Baking Show, oh. Dave Pound, more Great British Baking Show. <laughs> Dang, that's a real good Saturday. I got to be, I am so glad that I finally hooked Trevor onto GBBO because it is so good. Evan made so much fun of me and Dylan when we were watching it while Dylan was here. Evan would just sit in the other room and just make fun of it. And then he started kind of coming in and being like, oh, I wonder what that dessert looks like. Mm -hmm. And then like he'd come in and be like, I like that guy. And then like leave. Mm -hmm. And then finally he was like, okay, don't watch the finale without me. Just like fucking deal, bitch. Like, absolutely. My He's usually favorite. okay if I watch like up until about halfway, and then he and then once it's whittled yeah. down to the core like, figures, then he's like, okay, that's who I. Yeah. That's who yeah. I care. He doesn't care about the like you know first four or five episodes. Doesn't give a yeah. Uh, Trevor's a big fan of the fact that it's like it's a competition, but everybody's so nice. Ugh. They're just so nice, and they help each other, and they're great, and they're all incredibly self-deprecating. Oh it's man, just glorious. But my favorite was one time we were watching it, and uh, I think it was Prue said something about how difficult saffron was to cook in this specific thing. And I look over, and he was just nodding along, <laughs> like he cooks with saffron all the time. And I was like, I got him. Oh, man. I love, too, watching that show and pretending like I know anything about baking. Like, when they yeah. tell them that, like, you know, if you put too much cardamom in, it can make your mouth go numb or whatever. And then I'll watch them, like, putting it in, like... That's way too much. I don't I'm like, oh, uh, that rose water. Oof. That oh, my God. Flavor. You know, rose water is often very overpowering. Um, they're going to need to vent that pastry or they're going to have a soy. 
Oh my god, they definitely did not let it prove long enough. Like, I know what the fuck any of that means. Like, I don't know what any of that means. I'm I've never like, heard of rose water. Gluten is show. good. No, gluten's bad. No, wait, it's both. But you gotta, you gotta stretch out the gluten or something. Yeah. With window panes. <laughs> yeah, all the time. 100%. Yeah. Yeah, that's my, uh, my raucous Saturday night. Therapy baby on a Great British Baking Show. That's a great time. And a pint of rosé. Also, I am way too excited about my babe this week. I have a sneaking suspicion that I accidentally stumbled upon your babe. Because That's fine. I wish I'd stumbled upon this babe 15 years ago. Does she have kind of multiple sets of initials that you could have gone by? If I used her nickname. Okay, maybe not. I screenshot her name just in case I was wrong because I'm doing her next week. <laughs> but Fair. I was like, oh, this, this could match levels. I, I mean, when I tell you I found my role model, I have found my role model. Oh, I'm so excited. Um, you're drinking a pint of rosé. I am. What are you? I am drinking a peeber. Mmm, mmm, peeber. Mmm, peeber. Per, It's quarantine and I might as well. So. Yep, there are no rules, and even if there were, I'd say break them. Yeah, whatever. So, I thought about busting into this Icelandic vodka that we brought back. It's not Breaka? really vodka. No, mm. uh, Brennavin. Do you know about Brennavin? I don't. It's not vodka. It's its own kind of, it's... Like Malort? Yeah, it's um, it's a distilled wine, I think is what they call it, um, which I don't really know how that works. Not but uh, Dirks, our friend Dirks thinks it tastes like carrot-based vodka. Which okay. It's fine, <laughs> but we have some left, and it's been slowly going away during quarantine, and I think that I should probably get in there before it is, like, gone. Because you can't, you can find that Reikia stuff here, but it's so cheap. It's everywhere. You can't find Brennavin. But anyway, I'm not drinking Brennavin. I'm drinking PBR. Right. (laughs) Let me give you a rundown of what I'm not drinking. (laughs) Saucy. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, is that it? Do we have, do you have more? I think. Are you ready for a. Are you ready for a. I could be ready for a... Well, then, in that case, uh, when was your babe born, Taylor? My babe was born 1892. <gasps> I'm going first. Ooh, okay. First. Great. Oh, but first, who do you think I'm doing? I think that you are doing... Hang on. Let me pull up my screenshot. And I promise I won't do her next week. I'm not going to remember her name. Yeah, don't do her next week. I won't. I want to promise. God, honor of all the stuff. Are you doing Mary Frith? No. All Frith? No. Okay, good. I am doing a Mary. I'm doing a Mary, but a different... A different F. A different F Mary. All right, Taylor. (laughs) So excited. Okay, it's fine. I'm cool. So chill. Have you ever heard of Mary Fields? No, I don't think so. Okay. Okay, are you ready for story time? I can't wait. I'm so excited. Okay. <clears throat> so, beginning of Mary's life is a bummer. 
Big bummer. Mary was born enslaved in either 1833 or 1834. We're not really sure because... She was written as a number instead of a name because people are monsters. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. We're starting with people thinking they own people. It's cool. It's great. 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 Um, so she didn't know. She never knew the exact day she was born on, but she chose to celebrate on March 15th. So I'm like, hell yes. Mm-hmm. Happy birthday. Mm-hmm. Um, we aren't sure where she was born, but most historians think it was Hickman County, Tennessee. Most likely. Great. I trust them. I don't know. They're historians. Yeah. There, that I pretty this much trust them with everything. <laughs> yeah, historian things. Mm-hmm. Um, don't know a bunch about her childhood, but she, she worked for a family called the Warners, who f- believed that they owned her leading up to the Civil War. She was emancipated after the Civil War, but again, we aren't sure when because white supremacist assholes thought that they could just like not tell the men, women, and children that they had enslaved that they had lost the war and all those humans were free. I feel like that was a large oversight in emancipation is leaving it up to the people who owned people to tell them that they no longer owned people. I would love to believe that it was an oversight. That's very fair. That's extremely fair. But knowing what I know now, part of me is hesitant to believe that that was an oversight. Yeah. Because, yeah, because that seems like such... It seems dumb. It seems real seems, dumb. Yeah. It's infuriating and heartbreaking. And there should be a word that means both. Yeah. That's, that's beside the point. So anyway, uh, once Mary was actually freed, she moved up the Mississippi and worked on steamboats until she landed in Toledo, Ohio. So in Toledo, she started working at the Ursuline Convent of the Sacred Heart, which apparently Ursuline comes up a couple times. It basically means like it's a group of Catholic nuns who are really passionate about education. Okay. So cool. So she oversaw the kitchen. She did all the gardening. She tended the grounds. And then she would buy supplies for the nuns. Before we move on, there is something that you should know about Mary. She's A, my favorite human being of all time. But B, she's described as gruff and had a quick temper and would scream at people who walked on the grass right after she cut it. She's six feet tall. She smoked. She drank. She hung out with men in saloons. Mary lived her life and didn't give a fuck. And was a nun or just? No, she worked with the the nuns. Yeah. Okay. So there's all this stuff. Like, Damn, that is no. the coolest nun I've ever heard of. <laughs> there were so many historians are like, we're not really sure why she worked for the nuns because she doesn't seem like like her temperament didn't fit with the serene community of nuns or whatever. Wow, I love I love that. her. She got so her freedom and she fucking ran with it. Good. It's the I love to Good. That's that's uh, Oh, she's an inspiration. Um, so when people asked her about her journey to Toledo, she reportedly told one of the nuns that she was ready for, quote, a good cigar and a drink. Mm. <laughs> I was like, yeah, at the very least. on a bunch of steamboats. <laughs> yeah. doing who knows what for whoever leading up. Yeah. Um, historical records show that the nuns occasionally complained about her volatile temper. 
and her difficult nature. She also, quote, tussled with the nuns over her wages, behavior that would have shocked white women who expected black women to be well-behaved and subservient, but she knew her fucking worth. So she was like, pay me my fucking money. A queen. A queen. I love her. Uh, so she eventually left the convent and went west. And there's a few, basically the prevailing theory is that Mother Amadeus Dunn, who was Mother Superior in Toledo, moved west to Montana and then was very close to death with pneumonia and asked Mary to come. Okay. Because everybody knew that they were friends. But there's also a lot of speculation as to why they were friends. And some people say that... Mother Amadeus was part of the family that enslaved her, but I find that really hard to believe that they would then be buddies. Mm -hmm. Some say that Mother Amadeus was just a family friend, but the one that I think is most likely is that Mary met Judge Dunn when she worked on a steamboat, and then Mother Amadeus Dunn was his sister. And so she became friends with the family, went to work in Toledo, got to know his sister a lot better. Anyway, so either way, she answers the call. She goes up and she ends She ends up near Cascade, Montana, where Mother Amadeus was residing in a mission, also run by Ursuline nuns, called Peter's Mission. And so she starts working there, doing a lot of the same stuff she did at the convent in Toledo, but she had no official contract with those nuns. So she could come and go as she pleased, and she could take additional work outside the mission, which she did. And she worked at that mission for the next 10 years, raising chickens, growing vegetables, freighting supplies from nearby Cascade. Uh, she developed a reputation for having, quote, the temperament of a grizzly bear. I love the idea of this, like, really just grumpy uh, lady rolling around raising chickens and, like, not letting anybody get in her way about anything. Uh, yeah, gardening, cooking, taking care of shit. But, like, as soon as you step on her freshly cut grass, you fuck right off. Oh my god, it's like the most adorable hobbies that are being watched over by an angry bear, and I am yeah. into it. I'm so into it. And like, <laughs> there's all these stories about how she was like, fiercely and toughly devoted to the nuns and their students. Oh my like, god. Like, do not fuck with them. I love her so Oh my much. god. Ridiculous. Okay, what so. Sweet lady. That would probably be so angry to hear herself described as being sweet. sweet. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so at one point she was, quote, dismissed from the mission, which is so stupid. They're like, well, it's probably because of her crass behavior and her habit of drinking and smoking with men in saloons, <laughs> which just like heart eyes. But yeah. apparently she got into a fight with a male janitor because he was pissed that she was giving him orders and that she made more money than him. Uh, come to find out she is the only black person in this entire community. So some white dude was pissed that this strong ass black woman was giving him orders and made more money. And so they get into this fight and they both got so angry. They pulled their guns on each other. Oh, neither one of them shot, but because of that argument, the Bishop of the area was like, my dudes, you have to fire her. <laughs> She can't be pulling guns at the mission. Oh, my God. So the the nuns <laughs> were basically, like, strong-armed into firing her, but they, like, helped her afterwards. So you could tell that they still, like, super-duper cared about her. 
Yeah. Also, it also like what an understandable reason to pull a gun on an asshole. Hundred <laughs> percent. I would like, have. Oh, oh man. Yeah. Also, it never said whether or not that dude was fired. I'm assuming he wasn't. I'll give you. I'll give you twelve guesses. No, 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 no. Please. <laughs> so no, no, no. Twelve guesses. I know. I know. So. Uh, okay, so Mary goes into Cascade, Montana proper, which, as of the 2010 census, do you want to guess how many residents there are in Cascade, Montana? Wait, I feel like I've driven through Cascade, Montana, and it is not large. Um, I'm going to guess... 2010. Wait, okay, I'm going to guess 115,000. You sweet angel. Oh, is it so much smaller than that, or is it a lot bigger? So much smaller than that. Wait, okay, hang on. Is it, like, 30,000? As of 2010. Oh, no. There were 685 residents. Stop. What was it like in the... I don't know, two families? I don't know. Okay, so wait, what year are we in for her? About... Late 1890s, like roughly 1895, let's say. Okay. So it's a petite place. It's muy poquito, yeah. Um, So while she's there, she keeps trying to open restaurants, but she obviously was no stranger to hardship. So if people couldn't pay or if they didn't have any money, she wouldn't charge them, which is not the, like it's not the most profitable way to run a business. And so none of the restaurants could get off the ground. So my God, I love her. I love her. Uh, So, okay. Just wait. We're not even to the main like point. Oh, I love it. So (laughs) she sets up a little like laundry shop out of her home. She does odd random jobs, but as the people of Cascade get to know her and how incredibly few fucks she gives, she starts to get famous. And, quote, she became known for liking hard liquor and gunfights. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, I love, like, I would picture the kids of Cascade, specifically me as a tiny kid, just following her around from a distance in yeah. awe this huge woman who doesn't give a fuck and like fuck yeah. your norms like little girls of cascade have have posters or whatever the 1895 yeah. version of a poster is yeah on their wall they like, like do it in the dirt. <laughs> yes they have pictographs of mary field <laughs> on the wall i love yeah. it uh so that reputation of don't fuck with me paid off and in 1895 she signed a contract with the USPS to be a star route carrier, basically an independent contractor with the postal service. You're doing a postal service worker. I'm doing a postal service worker. Oh um, my God. Yeah. She basically delivered mail to rural Montana and she was the first black woman and the second woman ever to work for the postal service. Barf. That makes me want to cry, especially right now. <laughs> I mean, it's just... That would make me want to cry all the time, but, like, oh, especially right now, what a hero. A hero. So Mother Amadeus found a stagecoach and donated it to her. The nuns helped her get the... Well, some some accounts say that the nuns helped her get the job. Some accounts say that, like, 40 cowboys showed up to the job, and she said, I can ride better than all these men. 
which I, I mean, what that's that is a hundred percent the story that you tell. That's like that's like when you break your leg, like falling down the stairs, and instead you're like, I broke it because I like was doing parkour on the top of a building, and like you make it a lot better. Did I ever tell you the only I used to come up with fake stories about how I broke my foot, and the only one that was believable was softball. No, I none didn't. of the other ones. Zero um, Uber drivers believed me. Um, boop, 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 boop. Okay, so she becomes known as Stagecoach Mary. Oh. And basically her job was she would meet the train in her stagecoach, get the mail, and then deliver it to wherever. But this was when, like, bandits would try and steal whatever goods or whatever the crap was in mail. So she carried a rifle and a revolver with her at all times. There's one story about how she fought off a pack of wolves by herself. Oh, my God. I, I just love. They also said she protected the mail from thieves, bandits. Not sure what the difference is there. <laughs> wolves and the weather of northern Montana. So no matter what she encountered, she always delivered the mail and intimidated anybody who tried to mess with her. So now the locals are obsessed with her. They adore her. Um, she's also great with kids, and she's known for her generosity to townspeople and known for being fearless. So she works eight years as stagecoach Mary for the USPS, and then she was in her 70s, and so she decided to retire. I cannot imagine how exhausting that job was. Wow. Right? I, this, I, this might be one of the coolest ladies that we have done. I, truly. I have been so excited. I I mean, I almost told you everything about her the other day when we were texting. Because I was like, I can't wait. I can't wait. Wow. Um, so after she retires, she opens a laundry business in Cascade and an eatery, which I'm assuming succeeded because they didn't say that it didn't. <laughs> And then she I was like, oh, wait, OK, I got to charge money uh, to charge them for this. But she also had side businesses. So maybe she could like cover the overhead or something. No, I have to worry about it. Because yeah. uh, she also babysat the town children. Why not? Why not? Uh, so then she becomes the town's baseball mascot. Sure. Because why wouldn't she you? She becomes the mascot. I think like. So like she, they are the they are the Cascade Mary Fields. They're the stagecoach Marys. Oh, my God. So to answer your earlier question of how big was Cascade, at least they had a baseball team. God. At least big enough to have children and a baseball team. That is the cutest yeah. thing I've ever heard in my life. Yeah. Ever. Apparently, like, she, whenever she went out to eat, she ate for free. Whenever she went to saloon, she drank for free. Um, until a town ordinance declared that women couldn't be in saloons, which is the biggest barf. Oh my god. Wow. Also, how are you going to say no to Mary Field standing at your door being like, I would like a cigar and some hard liquor, and be like, no thanks. Lady folk aren't allowed. Yeah. Get the fuck out of here. Not Mary, but the men who passed that. Yeah. Anyway. So, Mary Fields died on December 5th, December 5th, excuse me, 1914. I don't know how or why. Uh, must have been something. Mm -hmm. Probably. Sincerely something. Yeah. Uh, after her death, the townspeople raised money to have her buried in a cemetery on the road that she drove frequently 
that linked Cascade to the mission, to Peter's mission. Mm -hmm. And they said that her funeral was one of the largest in town ever. So the controversy about this whole story is that the people of Cascade accepted her while she was alive and then like super celebrated her after her death. But a historian named D. Garso Hagen points to facts that they had other nicknames for her that I didn't know about, um, such as Black Mary, Colored Mary, and N-Word Mary. Oh. That makes them think that, like, because she was the only Black person, the, the residents of Cascade had a caste system. Mm-hmm. And so, like, they loved her, but less than... You know what I mean? Like she they loved her as long as she didn't as long as she served, power. Like, did her job. Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, and she had no community of her own to like draw strength from and even vent about the shitty white people and the day to day hardships. I don't know. Um she was like literally a solo pioneer in this whole. Um but her reputation after her death has made her explode into this like wild west myth. And a lot of people are like, I think some of those stories are exaggerated. Like the fighting off a pack of wolves one. And I'm like, who gives a shit? Who cares? Who cares? She was relentless. She got what she wanted. She worked hard. She was born enslaved, mm-hmm. became literate, learned to read and write. Like she traveled. She had a groundbreaking career for women, not to mention women of color. She fought for her wages. She fought for her whites, like her rights. She's, I don't care if things are exaggerated. Like she's absolutely earned hero status. Well, and it's that thing too, of like, we've talked with a lot of these like ancient queens of like all of these legends that they have. And it's kind of like, yeah, it doesn't really matter what the legend is because it's legend for a reason. Like it's, it's because stories about her circulated in such a way that they became literal legends, like literal legends. The the content of the legend, I think, doesn't really matter so much as the fact that no. they might exist. <laughs> Especially for a black woman alone in a white male patriarchy. Like, I don't care how it came to be. She deserves every bit of recognition that she got. And she absolutely deserves to be a symbol of black female empowerment. A hundred percent. Because why the fuck? Okay. If anything, the only kind of sketchy thing about that is as to whether or not the residents of Cascade were cool or not. Yeah, like <laughs> you know, it only reflects on them, not on her at all. Like, not on her. At all all of her shit was still the same, you know. Yeah. And yeah. honestly, it's if if they were cool, that's great. If they weren't, her her shit becomes even more impressive that she yeah did all of that anyway, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So the magazine Ebony in a 1959 issue, there was a Montana born film star named Gary Cooper. You may have heard of him. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah. And he knew her and fucking adored her. So he has some of my favorite quotes of all time about her. He said that she could quote, whip any two men in the territory and quote, had a fondness for hard liquor that was matched only by her capacity to put it away. Oh, yes. He also said 
She was born a slave, but lived to become one of the freest souls ever to draw a breath or a 38. I... I... That's my next tattoo. I don't know that I can absorb how great of a compliment that is. <laughs> it's the freest souls ever to draw a breath or a 38. That's so good. It's so good. That's so good. One article said that, quote, Mary drank and wore men's clothes at times. She smoked and carried guns. Yet in death, she has become this powerhouse woman. And I was like, what do you mean yet in death? And also, why can't it be both? You mean and. Yeah. And she always was. Yeah. This powerhouse woman. Spoiler alert, you can still be a female empowerment symbol and smoke and drink and wear dudes clothes. Yeah. There, okay. there was one article that I fucking loved that was like she loved wearing skirts and growing flowers and babysitting kids like she's not someone to be typecast or stereotyped yeah she was a woman who did what she wanted fuck your traditions but like you can have both you can be both she is a complex human being right yeah <sighs> which has been something that I've been like thinking a lot about lately is like how as a society it's always like we as an American society are like, it's one or the other, and we don't leave room for two truths to hold the same space. Yeah. And I think that it's never, well, that's not true. It's rarely one or the other. I think life pretty much happens in the middle. Yep. And I super love that she embodies that, and everyone support the Postal Service. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, so there are multiple books about her, but my favorite is they made a kid's book about her called Fearless Mary. Mm. It's written by Tammy Charles, and Mary's on the cover in pants, and there's an eagle landing on her arm, and her stagecoach is in the background. It's so dope. And yes. according to that book, the 40 cowboys tried to get the carrier job, and she was like, I cannot ride any man here. No idea if that's true, but I choose to believe it is. Yeah. Um, she is depicted in a few TV movies, a documentary, and a Western. And probably the coolest thing in the universe, she has an asteroid named after her. An asteroid? Not even, like, a planet? Like, no. oh. Fucking asteroid. Oh, my God. And that's the story of Stagecoach Mary. It's unbelievable how much I love that story. I have been actually giddy for days. That's so excellent. I love it. Wow. So much. <sighs> I've been really excited to tell you about. I can understand why. Yeah. Anyway, uh, to source my shit and then sit back and relax and drink alcohol. <laughs> uh, Britannica.com had an article written by Patricia Bauer. History.com had an article by Aaron Blakemore. The first article that I like dove deep in was a Smithsonian National Postal Museum article. I love uh, Smithsonian articles. Smithsonian, I have one uh, in mind, too, and I love them which, so much. This one was by Shelby Armspatcher and, Amspatcher, excuse me, and she was an intern. It was like oh. a blog post. And I was like, I love this. Yeah. Um, but then the, the super great article that I loved was in MontanaWomen'sHistory.org, and it was called The Life and Legend of Mary Fields, and I have no idea who wrote it. <laughs> but it's... Wow. So good. Excellent work. Thank you. I have a great time. Love her. 
Yeah. The world needs a million more women, probably more than that, that just give a big old middle finger to the world. Yeah. Yep. I feel like if there's one thing that I want people to take away from our podcast, it's that. <laughs> just be throwing up middle fingers all over the place. Right and left. left Whenever and right. you want to, get after it. It doesn't up, matter. down, center, diagonally. You deserve it. Treat yourself. Twirl them around, you know? Yeah. Yep. Maybe maybe get into those shoulders and rotate those shoulders around with your middle fingers, you know? Yeah, you got to get, you got to make sure and stretch. You don't want to yeah. pull muscle. No, 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 no. You want to stay loose. We're advocating responsible middle fingers. I'm going to start doing that every time I'm in yoga and I go into like chair pose or something. I just like straight uh, middle fingers up. Dupe. Uh, goddess yeah. pose with middle fingers. Okay, but then, okay, so question. Mm. Middle finger just straight or with the thumb, which is more powerful? I think the thumb is more of a fuck you. Absolutely. But the, see, like, if you're saying, like, fuck you to, like, society, man, then, like, double thumbs, right? Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. But if I'm, if I'm doing it in, like, my, if it's, like, a, like, a, um, what's it called? Uh, like a namaste yeah if it's like a if it's a if it's a mudra in yoga i'm gonna keep my thumbs in because i don't want my teacher to get offended of course not you know i want her to know that it's not you it's the patriarchy and i think she'll understand that it's not you it's the patriarchy needs to be (laughs) on every t-shirt in the world i also really want a t-shirt of a middle finger mudra where it's like either goddess pose or like just sitting cross-legged on a yoga mat, that peaceful posture that you always see hands on the, on the knees. But instead of just like palms up, it's just like, fuck the world. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would buy that shirt. Oh, like without even thinking about it. T-shirt making friends, please make me that and I'll purchase it with American dollars. With American dollars. <laughs> In exchange for goods and or services. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to hear about a lady? I would love to. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Well, um, you already know this, but for anybody listening, a disclaimer. I wrote it down again, so you're going to hear page turns. And this, yes. one's, this one's a big notebook, so they're like, they're like, listen. Ooh. Ooh, it's like a, it comes across as like a thud. Yeah, they're like thick. Um, <clears throat> Reagan. Taylor. Have you ever heard of Augusta Savage? No, but I'm so oh. <laughs> I thought that was the face of like, oh yeah, but. No, that's the face of, that's a brilliant name. Yeah. I feel like that should be the name of Joe in Little Women. Yeah. She should be Augustus Savage. Well, and I thought about this, too, when I was doing this lady, is we've already had the conversation about how if you were named Augusta, you could be nicknamed Gus. This lady could be Gus Savage. Gus Savage. Dude. He leads up that old lady biker gang. Dude. Oh, my God. Yeah. Just a whole biker game full of lady Gusses. That's all I want. Is that too much to ask? I don't think so. No, it's not. No, I think that's a perfect amount to ask. Where's okay. that HBO original series? I Come on, it. HBO. All of you HBO execs that listen to our podcast, get your shit together. <laughs> if anything, this podcast is a recommendation of dope shows. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> Lord. <laughs> I gotta focus up, Reagan. Okay. I'm on. I have, 
business to do. Business. Okay. Augusta Savage. Gus Savage. Hell yeah. Was born February 29th, 1892. It was a leap day. Cute. Hell yeah. Um, she was born in Green Cove Springs, Florida. Sure. It's a brick making town, if you didn't know. I say it is. It might was. <laughs> You know, a lot of those, like, old time, like, they don't really go away. That's true. It probably is still there. If your grows around it. Springs, Florida, please write in to us. Email us, babetownpod. Let us know. Do you make books? <laughs> okay, so um, she was the seventh of 14 kids. Woo! Too many. Smack mm-hmm. in the middle, too. Um, her father was a poor Methodist preacher. I couldn't find out what her mom did, but I would guess. Probably raised 14 children. Yeah. Um, so because it was a brick town, there's lots of like red clay mud pits all over town. And like, you know, it's the early 1900s at this point. So of course that's where she plays. <laughs> that's a playground. 100%. So, um, while she's hanging out in these mud pits, she starts like making little like mud pies and shit. And then slowly starts making little figurines and starts like sculpting these little tiny things as this little kid. And she would bring them home. And her dad was like, not thrilled about it at all he thought that they were um like like they were described he described them as craven like because he's this methodist preacher and so he thought that it was like bad because did i ever tell you about the sand rocks that i grew up with no what's a okay, sand so really okay so growing up in oklahoma we had our we had our fair share of clay mud pits i've made i can't tell you how many mud pies <laughs> But we also had sand rocks or sandstones where you can literally, it's like, it's a rock that you can put up against the surface and grind down and it becomes sand. Oh, okay. Yes. You know? Yeah. And so we would take sticks and shit during recess and like carve a hole in the middle and make rings. Cute. Or, you know, that's more rings. That was pretty much all we... (laughs) We didn't get really creative with it. We were just like, look how huge my stone sand ring is. Yeah. Anyway, probably Craven. Continue. I love that. Thank you. Um, so, blah, blah. So her dad, um, she, he, like, beat the shit out of her, trying to, like, get her to Wait. stop doing Wait. it. Wait, that's how um, She said, quote, he nearly whipped all the art out of me. Oh, my God. Wow, I hate him so much. Um, but good news, she had a teacher, pay teachers more, who recognized that it was a talent of hers and told her that she should, in fact, keep going. So she didn't let it get her down and she would still go and make her little figurines in the mud pits. Um, so 1907, she's 15. She marries this guy named John T. Moore. They have she's a daughter. 15? Yeah, they have a daughter in 1906, so she's 16, has a kid. Um, he later dies, like, a couple years later. So now she is a single mother the kid, oh, the at, like, 17 or 18. Cool. Oh, my God. Um, so 1915, her father moves them all to West Palm Beach, Florida. So suddenly she no longer has a source of clay. Obviously, he is not helping her out get, getting pottery stuff. Um, So she ended up not sculpting for four years. He's probably also, like, really shitty about the kid. Like, I doubt he's very helpful as a grandfather. I'm sorry. Anyway, I'll Uh, move past the dad. I am not sure about that, though, for 
uh, well, no, it's probably her mom. I don't know. So, um, 1915, same year that she moves, she marries this guy, James Savage, hence the last name. Dope. Um, 1919, a local potter gives her some clay and then she uses that to make some figurines. And she enters these figurines in the West Palm Beach County Fair and wins an award and like some like not like commendations, but some like follow up awards for these figurines. <clears throat> and that makes her be like, OK, maybe I can do this for real. So she moves to Jacksonville to try and make it uh, make a living as an artist. Um, she wanted to be making sculptures of prominent black figures in society. And it didn't really work out. Um, she couldn't really get the commissions. So 1920, she divorces James Savage. I wrote, I wrote presumably because his last name was cooler than he was. Because <laughs> she kept the name, but got rid of the dude. I mean, fair. Super fair. Um, so around I'm... the same time. What? Nothing. Continue. <laughs> um, around the same time, she leaves her daughter with her parents, which is why I think that but like it was probably her mom. Probably her mom did all of it. So she leaves her daughter with her parents and she moves to New York city with $4 and 60 cents to her name. She is 28 in, at the time. In what year is this? This is 1920. $4 and 60 cents and 60 cents. Oh, and I didn't look up what that's 1920. Like I have any sort of do, 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 do math in this $4 and um, I'm gonna say that's about a hundred dollars now. You said four dollars and sixty cents. I said about a hundred dollars. It is worth fifty nine fifty nine. You meant fifty was my first guess. Son of a bitch. She went to New York City with less than sixty dollars to her name. Oh. Um, she was twenty eight at this point. Okay, so excuse my hefty page turn. Page turn. Flip the book, too. Okay, so she gets to New York City. She immediately gets a job cleaning apartments. And eventually she enrolls in the Cooper Union School of Art. So she's, like, going for it now. Um, she finished a four-year degree in three years, because, of course, she did. Um, as she's doing all of this, she is also earning a reputation as a portrait sculptor. Because guess what? She moved to New York City in the early 20s. So Harlem Renaissance, baby. Hell yes. So she did busts of people, like, uh, W.E.B. Dubois and Marcus oh. Kirby. She's like in it, right? Doing these sculptures of these people. Oh, so then yes. she's also like becoming friends with these people as this is all happening. So she starts focusing her entire like career trajectory on addressing racial issues and stereotype issues through her art and using art as activism. So cool. So in 1923, she wins a scholarship to study in Paris at the Fontainebleau School of Art, School of Fine Arts in France. Okay, It's the Julius Rosenwald Fellowship. She wins it. She's one of 100 people in the country to win it. Um, The committee that was in charge of selecting the American contingent of this fellowship Yeah, she just got up and had a good shake. Um, So the committee that's in charge of selecting the American contingent uh, rescinds her invitation when they find out she's black. Fucking fuck. Because 
she would have to cross the ocean on the same ship as white ladies from the South. And they were worried that their uncomfort would make her uncomfortable. So really they did it for her own good is what they told her. That That's what they told her. That they wrote that they they rescinded her offer because she would be uncomfortable on the the liner over. So she takes it to the media and it it explodes, which was rare because it's Jim Crow era and she's a black woman facing an injustice. So it's amazing that it even made headlines. Um, And Harlem fucking rallied around her. Yes, they did. W.E.B. Dubois was among the prominent people who wrote letters to this art school in France being like, hey, you're making a big mistake. Like, she's really good and it shouldn't matter that she's black. Like, what the fuck are you doing? Also, he's Um, just such a great writer. Oh, man. Can you imagine? Like, that letter must have been... It must have been so good. Yeah, I can't even, yeah. I wish. Um, So in 1929, so six years after she was originally offered the fellowship, she is finally awarded the fellowship. So she heads over to Paris. Um, So she mostly receives this fellowship based off of a bust that she made of her nephew. Um, And so one of the things that she did pretty consistently throughout her career was um, because things like bronze were really expensive, she would make plaster casts and then paint them to look like they were bronze. Yeah. So it was cheap and accessible art, um, which I fucking love. I yeah. love that. Um, and she had a portfolio. Yep. Um, so there is, or there was a, an exhibition of her work at the New York Historical Society. I forgot to look up when this was, but it was recently. It was with within the last six years. Um, and the the coordinator for it was a lady named Wendy Ikemoto. And there are lots and lots of great quotes from her just being interviewed about the exhibition. Um, the piece that she made was called Gaiman. Um, and we should post photos of it. It's really good. It's really good. Um, and it's just this boy wearing like a newsboy cap and it's just so it's so good i'm gonna look it up right now hold on i'm sorry no i'm curious how do you spell it gaiman g-a-m-i-n oh it's so good holy crap yeah it's so detailed yeah it's so good um, so Wendy Ikemoto said, quote, what's so remarkable about this work is that quite simply it presented an African-American child in a realistic and humane fashion. Um, lots it's, and lots. It, I'm sorry. It's the slight raise in his eyebrow. Yeah. It's the tiny little raise in his eyebrow that just like makes the whole thing look like, what are you doing? Yeah. Like it, it gives emotion. So I'm sorry. I'm okay. I'll put it down. It's so good. So, um, so at this fine art school, like thousands of kids were coming to see these exhibitions. And so Wendy Ikemoto says um, they saw themselves as fine art. So it was like this big thing because it was a bunch of kids being able to see like, like a black boy being represented in a real way. 
it's almost like representation matters. It's almost as if. Wouldn't you think? So weird. So um, weird. So in 1934, oh wait, skipped a whole bunch. I was like, wait a minute, we're already in the 30s. Page turn. <laughs> Not yet, no page turn yet. Oh. Um, so while she's in Paris, she studies at the Academy de la Grande Chambrière. <laughs> that can't be right, cool. but you know, whatever. Um, she had two works in Salon d'Automne, and she had exhibitions at the Grand Palais in Paris. Um, in 1931, she got another fellowship of the same kind, which let her stay on for another year at the school. Um, and then she got, while she was there, she got a Carnegie Foundation grant. So then she was able to travel France, Belgium, and Germany for eight months. Dude. Doing art. Um, so in 1932, she started, she comes back to New York um, and she starts the Savage Studio of Arts and Crafts. Love it. And that kind of like solidified her as a, as a teacher and like a mentor in Harlem for artists. So then she becomes even bigger in Harlem because now she is like, you know. I wonder if her dad still called her Craven. Oh, dude, I would love to know just what that relationship was like after she moved. Your words, eat your yeah. words for yeah. breakfast. Um, so now page turn, 1934. She becomes the first black member of the National Association of Women's Painters and Sculptors. Um, in 1937, she is appointed the first director of the Harlem Community Art Center. So in 1939, be, be prepared to be real stoked and then real bummed. Like Hit a in, high, hit a low. Yeah, in pretty quick succession. Okay, so in 1939, She's commissioned by the New York World's Fair to create, quote, a sculpture symbolizing the musical contributions of African-Americans. Dope. Okay. So she's inspired by the James Weldon Johnson poem, Lift Every Voice and Sing. So she makes this piece. You should look up the harp. The harp? Yep. Okay. Hold on. Hold on. Dang. So good. Okay. Oh, it's hand. Yeah. So it's the hand of God and it's 12 black people that are acting as God's musical instrument because it's the hand of God holding them in a harp shape. They're also like the way that they're standing looks very choir-esque. Yep. They're all wearing like, different choir robes. Like choir robes. Yeah. And the arms, they, they look like a, like a choir. Yep. So, so who's the guy in front? I am not sure about that. I don't know. I don't He's know. He's holding a sign of some sort, and I can't say. I'm sure there is an answer. It is her most photographed piece because it was displayed prominently at the World's Fair. Yeah, there's photos of her sculpting it. Mm. And we'll post all of these photos because. Heck they're... yes, we will. Um. Oh, he's holding sheet music. Oh. Okay. Okay. Continue. Um. So that piece took her two years. Um, she took a two-year break from being the director of the Harlem Community Art Center, um, spent the time creating her 16-foot-tall statue. That's 16 feet tall. So huge. Um, so huge. So it's prominently displayed at the World's Fair. Um, it's estimated that 
5 million people saw it. Um, it had its own fair postcard because it was in such a prime location. Oh. She was the only black woman commissioned by the fair and was paid a whopping $360. I bet you that those postcards today would so. sell for thousands. Yeah. Hundreds of thousands. I don't know. I'm not on Antique Roadshow. But why not? You know, I ask myself that a lot. But yeah, I know. I know. Um, so despite that and it being a big success and very prominent and being hugely well received, um, some accounts make it sound like an accident. Some accounts make it sound like there was not enough funding to store it. But when they destroyed the World's Fair, they destroyed the piece as well. It got destroyed by some cleanup equipment, is what most places said. I saw two different places re like reference that um, they didn't have the funds to store it. And but, sell it. But most of them, most of them just said it was destroyed by cleanup equipment. So it, it might have been an accident. It might have just been. I guarantee you members of the Harlem Renaissance would have banded together, raised the money and purchased that. Easy. Yeah. I mean, and then, Oh, look at that. You have more funds. Yeah. I do not buy that. They don't have funds to store it. Bullshit. Yeah. So who knows? Um, but it does not exist anymore. There is a, there is a, um, replica of it, but it's not the same. Did she make the replica? I don't think so. I I don't know that for sure. I only saw that the replica was like, it was like one little blurb of like, there is a replica, but that, yeah, kind of it. Um, so on top of that big old bummer, while she was creating the harp, her position at the Harlem Community Arts Center had been filled. And then because of World War II, it ultimately closed for good because there was a lack of funding. Lack of funding pops up often with her story, as it does with so many artists' stories, artists, because yeah. that's the only way that they exist. Um, so she opened the Salon of Contemporary Negro Art. Um, on its opening night, there were 500 people that came. And she gave a speech to the audience and said, quote, we do not ask any special favors as artists because of our race. We only want to present to you our works and ask you to judge them on their merits. Like, yeah, of course, yeah. because you're that's a very that's a very artist plea. Yeah, because you're artists like who it doesn't. God, it's not to say that it doesn't matter that she is a black artist because the work that she was doing was bringing awareness and talking about. Important. And also she had to fight so much harder to right. be an artist. Right. Professionally. Right. But the just judge our art on its merit. Yeah. It's art. Look at it as art. <laughs> yeah. It's so understandable. Give it, a, give it a chance. Yeah. It's just such a give bummer. it a fucking chance. Um, unfortunately, the salon closes soon after due to lack of money. Um, she held a small one woman gallery at the Argent Galleries in New York City. Um, eventually, she moves to the Catskills in New York in 1945. 
Occasionally, she visits New York to teach and do tourist portrait sculptures. But at this point, she's like mostly in kind of obscurity. Um, but cute highlight of this. Uh, during this time that she's living in the Catskills, she reconnects with her daughter, Irene, after all these years Aww. and becomes close with her and her family. Because at this point, she's an adult. Like they're... Yeah. Um, so in 1962, she moves back to New York City to move in with Irene, her daughter, and her family. Page um, turn. Page turn. <laughs> um, that same year that she moves back, she dies. I couldn't mm. find from what. Um, there are only 12 of her sculptures left. Some were destroyed by her. Some were broken accidentally or destroyed as, well, I mean, Art pieces, especially sculptures, move around a lot. And hers were plaster casts that were painted. Yeah. You know, it, it's not... Yeah. It, if there were sculptures to get accidentally broken, I would understand yeah. it being hers, um, just because of what they were. But um, some of them, some of them it said, like, yeah, they've just disappeared. Like, people don't really know where they went. But there are at least 12 that are left and intact. Um, in an interview with Metropolitan Magazine in 1935, though, she said, quote, I have created nothing really beautiful, really lasting. But if I can inspire one of these youngsters to develop the talent that I know they possess, then my monument will be in their work. So she was like, yeah, I don't even really need to, like, as long as they make something that sticks around for a long time, then I've got a legacy, too, which is such a... That's such a beautiful way of thinking about like your impact on the world, you know, it's like I have to leave something. It's like, yeah, but I can also give something to somebody else to leave something. And that still counts as. It's leave. true, though, because there are so many of those people, specifically black artists, musicians in that time that are the inspiration to so many black artists and musicians that we idolize now. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there were lots of, um, I had to obviously cut out a bunch from her thing, but uh, there were lots of references to, like, when she was at the Savage Studio listing names of, like, yeah, and, like, eventually this artist and that artist and that sculptor and that painter were through her studio. Like, they all came in and learned from her because that's the kind of, like, community that existed. I... I would love to go just chill in the Harlem Renaissance. Renaissance. Oh yeah. It's oh, yeah. so, it's such a fascinating and like endlessly inspiring time to me. Yeah. Like every time I find a story that involves the Harlem Renaissance, it's always that same thing of like, it's an entire community of artists trying to accomplish similar things facing similar obstacles that are like okay well fuck it I guess we're the community that we have to rely on now and it's so cool and that's the thing is like it they're all a community it's not a competition yeah none of it is competitive and like well you're not you know like they all just support each other and build each other up in a way that I think you don't see very often anymore yeah, yeah. and obviously I wish more of their art and music and writing and poetry was still around because who knows how much of it has been lost or destroyed. That's the thing. Yeah. A lot of it. Who fucking knows. Yeah. But I'm there glad. Are the artists that were part of the Harlem Renaissance that we've never even heard of. You I'm know, sure, I, I that, guarantee you there are. 
not probably. Yeah, there are absolutely. There absolutely are. Yeah. And I wish that all of that was still around and I wish that we could learn from it and I wish that we could hear it. Um, but I, ref I love that despite everything, they made their legacy known in the inspiration of future artists. Okay. Are you ready to maybe cry? I mean, this, am I always ready to maybe cry? Yes. I'm this made me cry when I was writing this earlier. So. Oh my God, um, you never cry. I know. So her whole thing, right, was leaving a legacy behind in one of her students. Um, talking about her again, Wendy Ikemoto says, quote, she's been lost to history compared to her well-known students who had increased attention. She was before that time. It was a way to combat stereotypes and visual culture in the age of Jim Crow. She's a great reminder of the crucial role of having a multiplicity of voices in the public space, which like, yeah, yeah, of course. Yep. A hundred percent. So one of her students was a man named Charles Alston. In 1970, eight years after she died, he was commissioned by the Community Church of New York to create a bust of MLK there were five copies that he made. Um, in 1990, the bronze copy becomes the first image of an African-American to, to be displayed in the White House. And it was because of her, because he was one of her students. So she ultimately got her legacy in one of the very coolest ways, like in the exact way she wanted, with an amazing figure, by an amazing black artist, like just all the way around. Yeah. Perfect, perfect little ending. Wow. To our gal, Augusta Savage. Dude. Also, I can't stop thinking about, I keep coming back to like how, I mean, it's hard to draw a portrait. How, do you how much harder do you, is it to sculpt one? Oh my God, I know. Sculptors are amazing to me. I can't draw for shit. Artists are amazing. But then to add three dimensions. To be able to and, look at a block. malleable. Yeah. Just look at a block of something and be like, oh, I know how to manipulate this to make it look like something. Unbelievable. And such I, a, like innate skill. Like the fact that she started making little figurines when she was a kid. Yeah. Tells me that that's, that's not something that you, I mean, you can learn it to a point but I think part of it also is just I mean it's like with any artistic skill yes you can learn it yes you can study it yes you can perfect it but there's always going to be an innate talent that's instinct. not yeah. yeah and like don't get me wrong my sandstone rings were beautiful <laughs> they were I'm sure. amazing I'm sure could I have gone into sandstone ring design maybe probably probably don't let your dreams be memes, as Evan tells me all the time. That's so wise. Millennial of him. <laughs> um, yeah, you're not wrong. But I like the way that the brain has to work to look at something and know what you're going to do to the back of it. Oh. Like to have that 3D kind yeah. of spatial awareness is so cool. It's incredibly cool. Yeah. So that's a sweet sculptor, Augusta Savage. Augusta Savage. She can lead my biker gang anytime. Same. Same, same on that. 
Um, so to source my shit real quick, um, Wikipedia for the briefest little history on Charles Alston. Um, Smithsonian. Oh, Lord, Taylor. I wrote Smithsonian. Mm. Not that. Smithsonian American Art Museum website had a good article. Um, there was an NPR article called Sculptor Augusta Savage said her legacy was the work of her students, which like cute, um, by Susan Stamberg. And then there was a good Ar- Guardian article called Augusta Savage, the extraordinary story of the trailblazing artist written by Nadia Sayej. Amazing. Yeah. And that's dude. Sweet Gus. I had someone ask me the other day, sorry, what were you going to say? I was going to say who we've nicknamed Gus. There's there's no historical evidence that her nickname was Gus, but... Um, you don't know. I feel fine embellishing that part of it. No. And if you have beef with it, fuck off. <laughs> so, fuck right off. Fuck right off. Unless you are her family member and you know that she would have in beef case, with it, in which case we apologize. Please don't fuck off. And we and apologize. we'll have a correction as soon as you tell us. We'll issue a PR statement, don't worry. Yeah. We're really good at beers. <laughs> yeah. I was talking to one of my friends about Babe Town, and she was like, oh, do you guys still have women to cover? And I was like, my dude, my list is longer than it has ever been. Yeah. Like, the more I research, the more women I find out about, because there are countless. That's the beautiful thing about this podcast, is that the harder it gets to find women, the cooler women we find. But it's not even hard. You know no, what I mean? Like, yeah, it's not. I, I probably have a list of 70 women. It's fun, too, because I have the lowest criteria for what makes a really phenomenal babe. Do you know what I mean? Like, you don't need to have invented something. If you did something awesome one time, you're fucking worthy of being Hell a yes. babe. But also, like, the amount of women who have been activists, despite mm. everything, like, reading through the lives of activists, I'm exhausted. Yeah. And I can't, I cannot even imagine how exhausted they are. Wow. Good job, dude. That's really cool. Thanks. Um, who is your babe of the week? Who's your other babe? My, my other babe. Um, so my babe, so I was in Branson with my family Mm -hmm. as discussed. And I love being able to hang out with my family and my siblings and my nieces and nephew. And it's the best. Um, My sister-in-law, KK, she's been a babe before. She's a babe again. Mm -hmm. She has a podcast called Asking for a Friend that discusses like awkward or hard questions that people are like, how would this work? Definitely, I don't care either way but like my friend is one yeah you know like right and it's mainly focused on like women in the church specifically in the christian religion um she did this series for three weeks that was how to be a secure woman and i have been living for this series Mm. Because she, she has a different guest every time. 98% of the time, they're women. And one of them was how to be secure as a woman, like, when hardship comes. But it was also kind of like how to be secure in a patriarchal society when you're the breadwinner. 
Mm. And then the second one was how to be secure in your body. And it was all about intuitive eating and like fuck diet culture. And it it's just like, it's been really, really great to listen to while stuck in quarantine mm-hmm. and feeling alone. You know, like there's, it's really great to have, to listen to people talk about things that you thought only you thought about. Yeah. You know, like there's something really, really impactful about like speaking words to things and finding a community. Yeah. Um, but anyway, she also, uh, got COVID and is past it. And it's great. She technically, she got a test that was negative and the doctor was like, yeah, the test is negative, but we're pretty sure you have it. Yeah. Um, so she had to quarantine, alone in her house away from my brother and her four kids for until her symptoms left and yeah she's just like she's great and wonderful and she sent me a message when I was in quarantine and she was sick Mm -hmm. and was like hey you should know that like you're incredible and I'm super inspired by you and like I love you to death and you're all this stuff and so I just like casually started crying you know, reading my book with a V8. I was like, good, my morning cry. It's happening. <laughs> just um, 20, 20 things. Yeah. Just like, oh, right on schedule. Great, great, mm-hmm. great. Um, but I think it's, it's rare that a sibling chooses a spouse that immediately feels like a new sibling. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. And Yeah. I adore her and everyone should meet her and Kara K. James, go listen to her name is Kara K. James. Everyone should go listen to asking for friends. I'm not going to like tell her to go listen to her own podcast. Cause I know she does, but anyway. <laughs> KK, go listen to your own podcast. Um, yeah, she's just been super duper inspiring to me lately. Mm-hmm. Oh, also she's written four books, five books. Casual. And has four kids, two cats and a dog. Casual. And works full time. I, I just don't. Yeah, she's incredible. Wow. So everybody go follow her and shower her with love and support because that's what I do. <laughs> it's a good one. And who's your babe? Uh, my babe is a recent babe. Um, one of like the recent to the world. No, like recent. Um, I just discovered her. Um, uh, one of my Instagram friends posted about this lady and was like, Hey, go follow her. If you're looking for a lot of body positivity and a lot of showing how social media distorts body image and modeling and all of this. And she's everything that she posts is like, Hey, here's how swimsuit models make it look like they don't have any cellulite. And here's what they actually look like when they sit around. And it's just all these photos of like, like her, she's, she's been doing a thing. She's been doing a thing the last couple of days that's um, free the wiggle. And she's just wandering around, just shaking everything and being like, look, my arms jiggle and it's fine. Like, I don't give a fuck. Like she's recovering from an eating disorder and it's just her whole thing being like, hey, all of this is okay. And like, 
who cares? And like, I'm single at 30 and I don't give a fuck. Like, it's so great. Her name is Danae Mercer. I was going to say, what's her name? Because I'm going to look it up right now. Danae Mercer. I couldn't sleep the other night. And I spent so long just scrolling through her page and reading all of her captions. And like, I think I spelled Danae wrong. D-A-N-E-A. I think I can look this up too. So Danae Mercer. Got it. Found her. She's a great time. She's so, she spends so much time showing like, hey, I'm going to show you how to pose. And this is how you get those photos. So look at how uncomfortably I'm sitting. This is not how human beings sit or look like this is not a real thing. And when you see this online, here's how they're tricking your brain without even using Photoshop. It's so good. The enlarging of the eyes is it's. The creepiest thing. It's so good. And it's so eye-opening. And she is so lovely and, like, responds to everybody in the comments and is just, I don't know, like, it just brought me so much happiness to know that, like, somebody really hot is aware and thinks about all of those things and looks like a fucking person, like, looks like a human being when she's just sitting around. And I love that she posts all these photos of her like slouching with, it's just so good. It's so good. I love her. It's so good. And it's so, all of them are just so great. Um, She occasionally does like great account follow shout outs and they're all like body positive people or people who are living with disabilities and how they do it. And it's just, it's great. It's just, a great time. Wow. So I'm going to go follow her. I found her a couple nights ago and I couldn't sleep and was just so anxious, just laying in bed, like trying to get back to sleep. And I found this post and I just started scrolling through it. And I literally spent like an hour and a half just reading her stuff. Cause it just, I, it was like, I couldn't get enough of it where I was just like, I need all of this all the time. Like I need yeah. to have everybody constantly being like, it doesn't matter what yeah. you're supposed to look like. If you have cellulite, it's healthy. It's healthy and very normal. And like everybody's body types are different and that's okay. Like it's not not broken because you don't look like all these swimsuit models because that's not a thing anyway. Like they're posing like crazy anyway. Nobody looks like that just sitting around. It's just so, it was so nice. It was so nice. So if if you guys are looking for that, um, jump into it because it was so great and so refreshing to see yeah and like I guess I guess she technically qualifies as an influencer <laughs> but I, I follow a couple because like there's some I of think them that, that actually what, influence in a positive way right yeah and I think that that's what that title should mean mm-hmm. <laughs> shouldn't be you know Rich teenagers throwing parties in the middle of a pandemic. Anyway. Yeah, it shouldn't be that. It should be trying to change the world for good. Yeah. A few months ago, I, like, changed up my feed and deleted a lot of, quote-unquote, models and introduced a lot of, a lot more, like, bossy, oh, my God. (laughs) I believe you. Body positive, real people also, like, I highly recommend the anti-diet, the bucket diet, like all these people that share um, Women's Strength Coalition is 
women bodybuilders of all body types. Oh, it's so because good. Because fuck the idea that you have to be this tiny, super muscly, super tan bullshit. Yeah. Um, the travel influencer I talked about earlier, who's incredible. Um, her name is Glow. Let me see her official Instagram to plug that because I adore her. Uh, Glow Graphics. Um, she, she's also been doing, she's a black woman and she's also been doing 30 days to like redefine your thought process. And so she's been posting like phrases or, um, terms or people, different things that like you should Google, but also like, here's what it means. Here's what it means in context of my life. And she's like, again, I'm coming at this from my own perspective, my own, whatever. I don't speak for all black people, but this is how this comes across the most. It's just really, really beautiful. And she's going above and beyond what she needs to do. Dang, this is great. Only two hours in and (laughs) casual. Big, big, boom. Yeah. Well, this was great. This was really great. Um, It probably won't be an hour and a half. Oh, also, for the humans that listen to this, we love you. Oh, yeah. Sorry that we forget about you sometimes. I'm not. Because we love you. Ray's alone in that. I don't give a shit. You're really vital to, like, all of this. I guess. Um, Thanks for engaging. Thanks for listening. Thanks for texting us about the episodes and liking and commenting and sharing and it's really doing all the shit it gives me a lot of feelings and taylor may deny it but it gives her a lot of feelings too yeah i guess i guess (laughs) (laughs) i this is always the hardest part to edit because we do so many false stops it's like a bad movie that has six endings where i'm just like what is it this one nope nope this is funny too maybe i should no we can't have just all of these all right you ready you ready yeah, okay, bye. Gross. No, wait, no, okay. I love you. Oh. I love this. I love you and I love this. And we're Babe Town. Good night. So natural and I love it. <laughs> All right, barf. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>